And welcome back to Night Cheese. This is Steven. And I'm Tim. And uh, with us uh, once again is um, our frequent special guest, the the mail-in ballot that changes the landscape <laughs> of the quality of our episodes. Jared, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's like a, you know, it's like a, a character that appears in a series and, you know, you're expecting to kill him off after a couple of episodes, but the fans take to him and they just demand that <laughs> there be more of him. And, you know, you, you just got to go with it. You are the Green Ranger of this show. Yeah. I, think. <laughs> I am the Green I Ranger. I'll take that. You, I'll take you're, that comp. You're, you're not the, you're not the Nikki and Paolo of this show. You're, <laughs> you're, you were our Green Ranger. I was going to say the Jesse Pinkman. Um, ah, there you go, too. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's another another solid, solid, uh, a Michael B. Jordan Friday Night Lights yes. character. <laughs> um, we're just going to keep heap, heaping superlatives on Jared for the next hour and a half, everybody. Thank you for joining <laughs> it's gonna, us. It's going to be a weird episode, yeah. Yeah, it's going to get really <clears throat> weird. Really weird, really fast. So uh, we want to thank you for joining us. So now that we are uh, in the thick of the month of November, thanks for listening, by the way, to our Tombstone episode last uh, last time around. And um, that was a lot of fun to talk about. So now and for tonight and for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be revisiting the uh, trilogy. Uh, OK, so there's more than three movies, but, but we're all only going to pretend there's three. Um, the trilogy of Indiana Jones films uh, for tonight's episode. We're titling Indie November Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, um, you know, if you if you're not familiar with Raiders of the Lost Ark, I have no idea how you found our podcast. Um, <laughs> it is, you know, it's it's one of the hallmarks of 80s cinema of, of adventure films. Um, it was <clears throat> sorry, everyone. Um, it was, it, it came out in 1981, uh, the year I was born. Um, so it's a, it's, it's, it's quite an old film at this point. Um, <clears throat> and of course, you know, directed by Steven Spielberg and written by the, um, the duo of Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas, who together, uh, worked on, uh, Star Wars, uh, the, the original trilogy and, um, and other things as well. So, um, it's just, a it's just a blockbuster of a film. I mean, it, 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 especially for the time and place where it came out, um, and and the and sort of the culture that it that it happened upon, um, it's just highly highly regarded, and um, it's pretty much the most well received of all three uh, Indiana Jones films that we'll be discussing this month. So um, Rotten Tomatoes uh, is certainly the highest rated indie film on Rotten Tomatoes, and it probably has the the closest consensus between uh, critics and users as well. Um, critics gave it a 95%. Users give it a 96. Uh, and the IMDb, it has an 8.4 out of 10. And also holds a spot in IMDb's top 250 at number 57. And it's a uh, Metacritic uh, uh, average score is 85 as well, which is, again, for Metacritic scale, really high. So um, the only... Well, as I say, the only um, many Academy Award recognitions here for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and before we get into that, um, because the, there's I feel like there's some interesting things to be said there. Let's just um, jump back for a second um, before I, I really get rolling here. Um, Tim, what was your first introduction into Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, at least? you know, that's a, that's a good question, because I feel like the most 
or, or frequently when we talk about this on the episode, there's for a lot of like really classic films, there's always this like one moment where I really, I remember distinctly seeing it, but this was a weird film where I feel like it was just always around, like for growing up in a family where we were really careful about what we wa- like watched as children, you know, I feel like this was one of those that we just had on all the time. Like we were watching this so frequently I'm still kind of, my mind is blown, like, thinking back, like, when I was even older, like, probably in my early teens, what we couldn't watch was, like, nowhere near, I mean, as great as this film is, I was just shocked that my parents let me watch this so much, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, so I don't don't have, like, a one single memory, but I do remember just being, I mean, we just watched it all the time, it was so good. I will... I will interject very briefly to say, I think we're going to discover this month that Steven Spielberg was a low key, bad influence among the parental failures of a generation. Um, especially next week when we get to Temple of Doom. <laughs> now, I do have a stigma. We'll get to that next week, but I do have, that is a movie. I do remember when I saw it, <laughs> but this one, yeah, it was just, I mean, I, we just watched it all the time, all the time. Jared, what's your first uh, Raiders experience? That you can remember? Um, I think just seeing bits and pieces of it, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I think it, it was probably, you know, my adult life before I actually sat down and watched it all the way through. Um, I would, it would be on TV kind of like Tim said, and I would catch, uh, you know, a scene or two, um, you know, where I would, you know, there were certain things that would stand out that I would remember like the, you know, where he's, fighting the big burly German as the plane is going around or where he gets stuck in the pit with the snakes or, you know, the finish or whatever. Um, but, and, and I'll get into this a little bit later why I think it, uh, you know, I never really stuck with it and sat through it. Um, but that, that was kind of, uh, kind of the case for me is it, it really, um, it really took a while before I really just sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through. Mm. For um, so for me, it's it's interesting. I I'm probably somewhere in the middle with you guys. I don't actually remember the first time I watched it all the way through, um, but I do have an adjacent memory to it. So this is going to sound really silly, but when I was a kid, I remember. Uh, you guys may remember the Saturday morning cartoon, The Muppet Babies. Yeah. Um, and one of the fantastic things about the original run of Muppet Babies was this is before studios were all litigious with one another all the time. Um, and the biggest thing about the Muppet Babies was uh, teaching kids to use their imagination. So over and over again, they would find themselves like in the plots of movies with the actual footage of the movie as like a backdrop. And so there is a shot in the original opening credits of the Muppet Babies of Kermit dressed up like Indiana Jones, reena- <laughs> reenacting the boulder scene from the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark and like running away from the boulder. And nice. I can't remember the first time I saw Raiders, but I knew when I saw that, that I knew what it was referencing. Mm. So I, I, I can't remember what Raiders was, but I, Muppet Babies had a, a stronger impact on me as a child for Raiders of the Lost Ark than the actual film did. I will say, um, just as a, as a relation, my, my oldest brother, when we were talking about movies uh, uh, a long time ago and, and the 
shared experiences we had with our dad. He told me that he remembered seeing Raiders in the theater. He probably would have been, I'm guessing, probably somewhere around six years old. Um, but he said that was one of his first like seminal theater experiences with being in the theater, seeing that on the big screen, which I can totally, I can totally wrap my head around that. That would have been a, a crazy, crazy experience to, to be for, be there for. Um, yeah. So, you know, it has a, a real impression. Um, and uh, it's it's um, yeah yeah it's 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 an interesting film. And before we get into all that, I want to go back to the Academy Award uh, recognition it got. So it actually won four Academy Awards, but it was nominated for five, six, eight. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, um, which is just bananas wow. to me. Um, not because it's a bad movie. I mean, you know, we live in a world where the first Rocky movie won best picture. I mean, so it's, it's, it's not totally out of the realm of, of, uh, possibility, but I do feel like growing up and maybe it was just me, but up until, uh, I don't know what year, and maybe the Academy has always been this way, but for most of my life through, through adulthood, um, I always pictured Academy Award nominated films as like these like serious period pieces or these long and sprawling epics, mm-hmm. you know, things that when especially when you're a kid are pretty boring um, yeah. um, and, and a little over your head or just a little too deep. Um, and so um, as far as awards, uh, it actually won for best set best art direction. Uh, it looks like uh, they, but they mentioned set decoration. So I don't know if they had multiple art direction awards that year, but uh, that one for best set decoration, best sound, um, mm-hmm. best film editing, and best <laughs> best visual effects. Um, so you know, wow. at the time, some some really groundbreaking stuff there, with uh, <laughs> face melting and and whatnot, um, <clears throat> and I'm impaling Alfred Molina on a slew of spears. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, but I want to go into the nomination. So it was actually nominated for best picture, uh, and it lost that year to chariots of fire. Um, which I, okay. Confession time. I haven't seen chariots of fire, but I keep, people keep telling me I need to watch it and I hear really good things about it. Um, he, uh, Steven Spielberg was nominated for best director and lost to Warren Beatty for reds, which was a Soviet, uh, Soviet epic story about uh, now I looked it up earlier and I can't remember the man's name, the historical figure's name, but um, about the guy who wrote, um, wrote the, wrote that book, the 10 days, the, the book of 10 days uh, about the, I think it was like the Soviet communist transition or something like that. I, now I'm just losing it. But anyway, um, your typical Oscar bait basically. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it also lost Best Cinematography to Reds as well. And then, this is the one I want to talk about. It was actually, John Williams was nominated for Best Original Score and lost Ooh. to Vangelis for Chariots of Fire. So let's have a quick talk. The Chariots of Fire theme song, which I'm assuming the two of you are mm-hmm. aware of. Oh, yeah. Um, versus Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Tim, <laughs> t- Tim, weigh in. That that is that is tough because when you when you first said that or when I first read that he lost best original score, I was shocked because honestly this this score is, I mean I I maybe it's just because I've seen it most recently, but it is one of my favorites from John Williams. Man, yeah. but he's got so many. I mean, there's 
so many amazing ones, but I, I really love the range in this. I don't, yeah, but losing to that, I could, I, ah, I still, I still love John Williams, but that, that does, that is a tough, a tough, uh, year. I don't know. I, I still would have given it to John Williams, but man, that's hard. That's really tough. Jared. Yeah. It's hard for me to put anything over, um, over John Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I get it. I kind of I see where they're coming from on it. But yeah, I mean, for me personally, it would have been hard for anything to top him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Chariots of Fire theme is really good. Like, I mean, it's and it, and it, I think it would deserve to win in many years uh, yeah. based on some of the other past Oscar winners for best score. Mm-hmm. Totally. But um, but with this head to head, I mean, I think just the timelessness mm-hmm. of Williams, I, I think even if you don't I, I almost want to say even if you don't get Temple of Doom and Last Crusade, it's still, I think it would still stand the test of time. Um, but we did, and it does. So, I mean, yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I've, man, I, I, I mean, listen, hindsight's 2020, but, mm-hmm. um, so, so we can say that. Um, and so I'm not super mad at it because I do like, I do. I mean, I like as far as I'm just going theme for theme because I don't know mm. any of the rest of the chariots of fire yeah. score. And I only know one other piece from Raiders, uh, f- from Raiders specifically anyways, on um, that sort of haunting, uh, theme that's when, whenever the arc is around basically. Um, and so, uh, I don't know. I meant the Raiders March though. That's just, that's just one of the, it's actually, it's great. It's like, it's one of the rare times, two pieces of music, like, you could sing to yourself as you're doing something with purpose, mm-hmm. you know, like print be a hero or, you know, we were talking about running at the beginning before we started the show and stuff. And, and, you know, that is like one of the quintessential running songs is chariots of fire, you know? So, um, <clears throat> anyway, tough, tough break for John Williams, but I think he's doing okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, uh, of course, you know, a legendary cast here. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones and Karen Allen as uh, Marion, his uh, love interest slash sidekick. Um, we got some Nazis in there, too. But also um, John Reese davies uh, you know, probably most recognized, I would guess, most recognizably known to the to the larger world as Gimli from Lord of the Rings. Now, I don't know if recognizable is the word I would use because he's under <clears throat> a lot of makeup and many feet shorter for those films, but um, probably <laughs> his most famous role, I, I'm guessing, at least it is for me. Mm-hmm. And then um, Denholm Elliott, who um, he comes back in Last Crusade, but Marcus Brody, um, just a great, great actor and a great character there as well. Um, really, really fun cast. And, and you know, honestly... This film is it's it's a pretty simple story. I mean, you know, you have these you have the the establishment of Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. and and I think what's interesting is um, you have Harrison Ford in this film, and he feels very very much to me like um, like the Han Solo from the first Star Wars, you know, like the. Mm-hmm. The, the Han the Han shot first version mm-hmm. of Han Solo, mm-hmm. of where like they they really seem to position him, I would say, probably for the first half hour of the movie at least when he's out in the wilderness and not not like his classroom personality and stuff, but when he's like out there that whole opening scene as this really kind of 
da- almost you know dangerous adventurer. Like mm-hmm. um, the way they. I, I, one thing I, I found really interesting in the in the uh, camera work and the lighting and stuff is there's multiple times like he kind of like steps out of the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff, which, you know, in retrospect, after seeing multiple indie movies, you're like, this is weird, yeah. <laughs> but you know, if, but if that's your first introduction to him, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of hardcore in its yeah. own way. I'd kind yeah. of forgotten how, you know, yeah, he's not introduced like with the Raiders March, like with some exciting, it's kind of this almost like negative, like minor key, like it sounds like something ominous, like he is an ominous person not to be trusted at first, you know, it's kind of, is this more. Yeah, stepping out of the shadows. It's very maybe. different than what in my mind would have maybe thought had I, you know, had I had years gone by and I hadn't seen it recently. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think sort of um, the the thing about it is, is, is throughout the movie, you know, even though it's he's sort of this stereotypical action hero, I think part of the reason that I had a hard time like attaching to this movie is is that just like scene after scene is him failing. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like like every time is him getting something or almost getting something and then having it taken away. Mm-hmm. Um. So so it is sort of a I don't know I don't know really know how how to, how to describe it but um it's interesting in in that in in some ways. It seems like, you know, the antithesis of uh, of a typical 80s sort of. Oh, yeah. Like he's not a he's definitely not like a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, he's he's not afraid to you know, he's a, he's a very underdog baby face. Mm-hmm. If I can use some uh, mm-hmm. some wrestling <laughs> terminology here. Just a very Daniel Bryan ish character. Like, you know, yeah, you, you get behind him only to see him fail. And and he's um. I found that very interesting, and you know that's that was a a good point too, Tim, about you know just sort of the musical cues and stuff from coming up. It almost reminds me of the beginning of the Mandalorian, like the first mm-hmm. time you meet him, and he like strolls into the bar and you know um, to to take his first bounty or whatever mm-hmm. that we see him take, and like it's kind of like oh okay, so he can you know take down some stuff, and and, and I think it's interesting. Two, I, I, one thing I really like about this movie is you do get that kind of goofiness from him later on when you see that he's like afraid of snakes mm-hmm. or whatever and stuff. But in the beginning, he's not shaken by anything. Yeah, you know, at least mm-hmm. you know when they get to the treasure and that opening um, when they go into the cave together, him and uh, Alfred Molina's character and Molina is covered in tarantulas and he like doesn't flinch. Yeah. Like he just mm-hmm. gets his whip and just kind of brushes them off and stuff. <laughs> um, apparently by the way, Molina's first day on set, the cool. first, the first shot was, all right, we're going to put all these spiders on you. Mm. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. and, and as it turns out, um, the spiders didn't even do very much until they introduced a female spider onto him, which, Sounds just like a terrible idea in right. 2020 for safety regulations and stuff. I just like imagine like, man, the 80s were wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was some of the stuff they shot in this movie where I'm like, oh, man. I wonder exactly how they did that. Because, you know, nowadays you would just assume like CGI or that they mm-hmm. had these safety protocols or something like with with some of that stuff. I'm like, 
Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. And there's another piece like somewhere in the trivia that like they had to just redo or just re re write around one of the action sequences because a truck flipped before they were ready for it to yeah. or something. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then so like, Oh, they were actually going to destroy the truck like this, but uh, no, well now it's this way. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the again. scene it's the scene where they where, where it drives off the cliff and the two guys fall off with yeah. it you know that's the one i'm like <laughs> oh that wasn't supposed <laughs> well, to happen shoot, i guess we're gonna have to ride out ralph and phil too Spiel, so. spielberg <laughs> leans over to tell, tell me we got that yeah. right, right. <laughs> all right all right that's a wrap everybody this is a smooth okay. long um i think one of the most famous i don't want to call it an urban legend per se i think it's been authenticated around is um is uh you know i i I think it's once the movie actually kind of starts to take a turn into you know not really the silly but but um a a slightly more light-hearted adventurous this is when they're in uh i think it's tunisia um when they're doing like uh when he and marion are are running away from uh from the nazis and they're running down all the alleyways and stuff and maybe it's just because i've been playing too much assassin's creed lately but um that was a really entertaining sequence, uh, mm-hmm. the way it was shot yeah. and very frantic. And, um, and I will say this, um, you know, when we were talking in the beginning about how this is sort of the best received Indiana Jones film, I think of some other critics, uh, I read a lot, uh, on the internet or if I've watched on YouTube and stuff. And I think they just come from a generation that's right before us. A lot of these people who are like jaws is a perfect movie. Raiders is a perfect movie. You know, uh, the first alien is a perfect movie. And listen, I'm not bagging on any of those. I think they're all great. Um, um, you know, but I will concede here too. I think, I don't think there's really any, really any wasted scenes. And even, even the exposition scenes are not very long. Like, uh, you know, they, they don't, they don't, they don't last a very long time. Um, the, it's the shortest of the three indie films worth watching. Um, and, and they just kind of get right to the action in a lot of places and, and they yeah. move the story forward and stuff. So there's not like re- really a lot of wasted stuff, but, um, yeah. anyway, the, 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 probably one of the biggest urban legends around the film is during that scene where he's starts taking out all of these masked, um, swordsmen and and fighters and stuff and all of a sudden the crowd splits like the red sea and there's this giant like seven foot tall looking swordsman with this giant scimitar and he's been he's been bouncing around all over the place knocking people out throwing them into tables and 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 all this stuff and then he just pulls the pistol out of his holder and shoots him and like it's just such a um (laughs) it's probably the funniest the funniest death i've ever i've ever seen um (laughs) in the way they play it. And of course yeah. the, the story behind it is apparently I've heard varying degrees of sickness, but uh, Harrison Ford was really ill that day on set and just decided to improvise it. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to be this long drawn out fight and he either had dysentery. I've heard everything from, from just upset stomach to dysentery or something like that. And he had to go. Um, but apparently it is documented that everybody, when they were in Tunisia, just about everybody in the cast and crew did get sick. Um, except for Steven Spielberg, who apparently brought a bunch of SpaghettiOs with him <laughs> to eat. He wasn't going to have any of that Tunisian food. So had to bring, bring home some Chef Boyardee with him. And, um, oh, yeah. And so he survived, uh, survived the <laughs> illness that spread through the cast and crew. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So 
Speaking of urban legends, uh, to uh, well, this isn't really an urban legend, but to either of you guys, it's okay to admit it if you know where I'm going with this. But do either of you, have you, either of you ever watched The Big Bang Theory, the CBS comedy? Off and on, bits and pieces, but I stopped a while back. So there is this lingering theory that's tied to Raiders of the Lost Ark based on a joke that happened in one of those episodes, which is basically Indiana Jones is useless. Like in this movie, like if he didn't exist at all, the plot would move forward exactly as it did, um, which sends sends the the nerds in that show into like a rage and they're trying to like disprove it and all this other stuff, um, which I, I, I found to be pretty, pretty amusing. I mean, like, I guess. Hmm. All right. Well, so we'll travel down this rabbit hole just for a rabbit hole just for a little bit because I did notice one thing when I was watching it. I'm like, you know what? I don't think. I mean, it's not like it's it's this pet theory, kind of like Cobra Kai, notwithstanding, like mm-hmm. the idea that Johnny is the real hero of Karate Kid. You know, like um, it's just these little contrarian things people like to to put out there for fun. Um, but there is, I, I do just want to offer my take to disprove that in that. <clears throat> the Nazis were digging in the wrong place for the Ark. And so without Indy's intervention, I would think that, you know, they don't they don't actually obtain the Ark. Now, for everything from then on pretty much happens the way it's going to happen. Um, so I guess I guess the only thing is you could make the argument that if he didn't exist, they would just show up to Marion's and steal the medallion. And they would have the whole thing, but I don't. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like the fact that they didn't know, they didn't know how to properly search for the ark in the first place, and that was Indy who who actually got it for them, in one of his many excursions to have his treasure robbed from him. But anyway, it's such a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's a playful viral uh, theory that floats around <laughs> from time to time, that um, at first I thought was amusing, but I was like, wait a minute. It's not true. Oh, <laughs> Raiders. So, um, yeah, I, I want to ask, uh, uh, ask you guys to like, um, did either of you, I know, I think it one might have, I might've said this offline to you guys. I, I can honestly can't remember, but did either of you notice, um, anything specific about the monkey this time around? The um, so when they're in Tunisia, like he, one of his contacts or something that's trying to help him find a place has this pet monkey. But the monkey is, I can't believe I'm about to say these words out loud. is is a secret spy for the Nazis. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a Nazi spy monkey. Um, that is like some story right out of 2020. I know, right? I think I did read something about super smart monkeys uh, on Facebook yesterday. So. You know, I don't know if that lab is in Germany or not, but you know, we'll we'll see. Um, <laughs> one thing I didn't notice this time is like when it is revealed that the monkey is working with the Nazis, um, his handler is is talking to the Nazis, and as the the Nazis walk away, the monkey straight up gives the the Hitler salute. I remember you saying that, yeah, and 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 gives the hell Hitler, which I was just like, did I just see that? <laughs> and. I I'm telling you, man, Spielberg was having a wild time with this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened in his life um, to to chill him out. <laughs> but um, but he was not afraid to be a little weird mm-hmm. and edgy uh, yeah. with these things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember that when the, when the monkey dies, I'm like, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I mean, I know he's a Nazi monkey, but I mean, he's still a little monkey. <laughs> yeah. <you> know? <laughs> I know. I was watching it with my wife and she was just like, oh, and I was like, babe, that monkey was a Nazi. <laughs> Deserved to die. <laughs> I ate the poison dates. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. Um, the monkey was actually voiced by a uh, legendary voice actor, Frank Welker. Oh, wow. Um, who would later go on to be the voice of another monkey, Abu, in Aladdin. Wow. So, uh, you know, he was he was wetting his, his monkey chops in the early 80s, um, 11 years later. I, originally, I, I heard that originally they were going to go with a young Vin Diesel. And mm. it didn't work out. I don't know. If um, I don't know if there's any validity to that, or if I could. I probably could just remembering that. I don't know. Wanted to rewrite the script to be a little more about him <laughs> and, and his monkey fam and his, his monkey fam family. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. You know, they steal things yeah. from archaeologists, but he, it's for a good good reason. He was yeah. most upset that the monkey didn't get this really awesome tricked out car. To, he didn't know, get to be part of the chase scene. He didn't yeah. get to be part of any of those chase scenes. That's what it was. Know. Yeah. When he saw Indy with that bazooka, he just got really jealous. Yeah. Vin, Vin, Vin. So another thing, just just again, uh, in, in the line of Spielberg, what were you thinking kind of stuff. Um, Spielberg himself, you know, who would later on to direct film, to, you know, to, to create films like Schindler's List and um, Saving Private Ryan and, and other properties that, sorry, everybody, um, got a lot of hiccups tonight, um, that would depict, you know, <clears throat> Nazi characters and the, uh, you know, plight of Jewish people and stuff like that, um, didn't actually have any references to hating Jews uh, uh, with the Nazis. And they had to add a line at the end of the script when, um, when Belloc is, is dressed in the, you know, the Hebrew priest garb um, for one of the lines to say, I am uncomfortable with this Jewish ritual. <laughs> they said they had to add this line because after reading through the script, the screenwriters realized there was no mention of the Jews or the Nazis hatred of them. I'm like, you kind of, kind of strange that that didn't make it through until <laughs> the very end. I mean, it's kind of one of the, one of the first things you'd think of. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, so, uh, uh, man, I, you know what? One thing I did want to talk about that I thought was actually really interesting and probably lends a lot more credence to the value of Raiders in my mind above the others. Um, at least in this one, one way, um, you know, it's so easy and maybe it's because we saw these, we were exposed to this franchise when we were kids. Um, or maybe it's just the way it was designed because it is, you know, based off of these old like radio serial adventures, um, this sort, you know, just the, the, the old timey adventure style punch Nazis in the face, kind of, you know, just, just good happy time stuff. Um, so there is, a, there is a sort of casual, I want to say happy go lucky feel to it, but you know, there's, there's not a lot of depth to there's not always a lot of depth to the stories but there doesn't have to be uh, mm -hmm. because because of the feel that it's going for and it, and it still works and 
and its quality is exceeded because of the work of the cast and the crew and the, and the creators of the, of the film. So, uh, it, you know, it works really well, despite the fact that maybe, maybe it is a little shallow, but it was never intended to be mm-hmm. any more than that because of the source materials and inspirations mm-hmm. for it. But, um, one thing I was really interested in that I, I would, I would have been down for a little more, um, a little more deeper diving into is this relationship between Indiana Jones and his ri- rival, um, uh, Belloc. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, Belloc's always one step ahead. He's always, you know, plucking the treasure pretty much right out of his hands after he's done all the dirty work. And you have introduced Indy as this sort of as something of an edgy character, you know, the guy who, you know, he probably would shoot somebody if he needed to, you know, it's a little weird. It's, he's almost like, he's almost like a secret identity anti-hero kind of character because like when he's teaching in school he's just a sort of bumbling mm-hmm. n- nerd who's really surprised that attractive women like him um and then at the same time you know making references to sunday school and all this other stuff and then when he's wearing the leather jacket and the hat he's james dean all of a sudden you know like it's mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's interesting like that that's almost a, a duality for him but um the way they framed him from the very beginning in that like opening scene where he steps out of the shadows and everything up in the, in the boulder sequence and, and um, even like the, the bar scene with Marion, all this stuff. Um, he, he has almost a darkness to him. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the point where he'd be a villain, but still he's not, not squeaky clean. Like he, he definitely is more of a Han Solo than a Luke Skywalker. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, Belloc actually has, I don't, I might have just been imagining it, but he does have something along the lines of the Punisher Daredevil relationship mm. with with Indy to the point where he said something close to "You're one bad day away from being me," right? Um, kind of thing. Yeah. Like he's like, "You and I are really not all that different," um, and he's just and and just he's um. What, what's interesting, and and I think Temple of Doom doesn't have this, but Last Crusade you know, brings this kind of character back in is someone who's basically kind of willing to sell their soul, um, for, for the glory of, you know, you know, Indy is also after the fortune and glory. I mean, you see that, that, that phrase actually, you know, arises in temple of doom, I think, but, but, um, he, he's a pursuer of, of fortune and glory, but there's a certain integrity to him mm-hmm. um, that he's there are some lines yeah. he's not willing to cross. Mm-hmm. And so he is met with a rival who is willing to cross those lines yeah. and seems to get ahead yeah. um, in those ways. That's what I, I loved the one of the towards the towards the very end of the movie. We mentioned the bazooka where Indiana Jones, he he has an opportunity to stop them. And Belloc, he, he knows that Indiana Jones couldn't couldn't destroy that so he basically is like yeah okay here you go i'll, I'll move aside here's the arc <laughs> go you ahead. can shoot it if you yeah. want yeah but it's kind of like that yeah knowing him <clears throat> being so close um in their personality you know just their desire even though yeah. Belox is slightly you know more where he's willing to go all the way but yeah he knows that he could destroy it either like it's 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 too special mm-hmm. and you know um andy has this he has this scientific respect, you know, for, for archeology, span it's his passion. And so he, yeah, he doesn't, um, he, he doesn't want to see things destroyed. He wants to see things preserved. 
And um, he, uh, you know, and you even see allusions to that when he is teaching his lesson to all the thirsty girls in his class, um, (laughs) where if you pay attention to what he's saying and not what all the girls are doing, um, you know, he just talks about how careless, um, careless approaches to excavation ruin some really beautiful things. And, um, and so, you know, he's already planting the seeds. And I think one of my favorite things about Indy as a character is his skepticism. And it seems, it is a little weird that he's almost having the same journey over and over again of skepticism into faith on things. You'd think after this movie, he'd pretty much be pretty much, pretty much sold on, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. okay, there's oh, yeah. magic in the world, you know, um, <laughs> Or, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the power of God is real, um, and so, and, and I think that that chips away at him over the course of the movies. But um, I think that that is the interesting thing. Like he, um, he knows he he knows when he is at his line, and he knows when it's okay to walk away um, and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And and I think that's a really you know that's a really powerful attribute to to display in movies because i think i think that was something too i don't you know i i I don't i was too young to know what the landscape of action and adventure films are but um you know we were talking earlier about his sort of action and adventure contemporaries and how like how probably embarrassing it would be to their ego to lose a fight you know, mm-hmm. um, or things like that, but they, they would probably always want to get the girl too, and and get the treasure. And like, I think there is an there is a neat vulnerability <clears throat> about his character that not only does he lose a lot, but also even when he has victory, he can voluntarily let something go. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I, I think that's 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 really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's definitely a, a different take than your your common hero uh during those times yeah Yeah, well and i mean even with the climax of the film you know i was thinking like when you know normally when you think of of a character like getting beaten down or or losing over and over they're triumphant at the end in a in a climactic sort of way he wins at the end by being tied to a post and just closing yeah. his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like he wins by closing his eyes. How, however, how, you know, how often in a movie does a character win, you know, by closing their eyes? So, yeah. mm-hmm. so it is, yeah, it is. He, he wins by not engaging. Right. Fight, yeah. You know? right. And that's a, you know, that, that is, that's a powerful lesson. Yep. Some of us, I think we can all learn. Sometimes you win by not engaging <laughs> with the Nazis, <laughs> which is, which is what I always say when it comes to like social media feuds. I just don't engage. Yeah. Next time I see you tiptoeing that line, Jared, I'm going to come online and say, Jared, don't engage with the Nazis. Look away. Don't look, look at away. The yeah, don't, look, I, I, don't look at it. I do have to qualify this by saying I'm completely kidding. I'm, yeah, I'm just Jared's the guy fine. who picks every single fight, you know? So, yeah. 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 You're, you're one more fight from having your face melted off there, Belloc. You're, right. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, to 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 quote to reference another '80s movie. Like I've got to have my Marty McFly moment where I don't race the guy. 
You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People just got to stop calling you chicken. Though. Right, <laughs> right. That's how it always starts. Yeah. Why yeah. do people keep calling me chicken? It's like Nobody. an insult. How does this oh, always gosh. start this way? <sighs> Such a trigger. Um, <laughs> some fun um, some fun trivia uh, I'd like to, to mention, because this was really illuminating, uh, that the, the trivia community uh, is very deep for this film. Um, so... They the the boulder in the opening scene was so truly um, it did not it did not naturally produce the desired sound um, the sound I'm so glad that they won awards for sound um, sound effect I think it was sound mm-hmm. effects right um, sound best editing sound. Or... yeah set sound and sound editing because some of the stuff they did was just wonderful mm-hmm. like uh, so the um, the let's see well actually since i'm running down my list i'm going to say a couple of other things real quick um let's see uh the the, george lucas uh came up with the idea um for indiana jones when he was on vacation after making a new hope and he uh was talking with spielberg and he told spielberg that he actually always wanted to make a james bond film and um Spielberg said he always wanted to make a James Bond film and Lucas replied, Hey, I've got a better idea. And they start talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark while they were making a, while they were making a sandcastle in Hawaii together. (laughs) Um, you know, just a couple of kajillionaires taking a Hawaiian vacation together, building sandcastles. Um, this seems like something 2020 Harrison Ford would have said instead of 1981 Harrison Ford, but nevertheless, here we go. The out of control airplane actually ran over Harrison Ford's knee. That guy has had the worst luck with aircraft in his life, both on and off sets. <laughs> I just want to say, um, tearing a ligament in his left leg, lucky for him, the heat, um, and had turned, uh, the rubber tires soft. So it didn't crush his bone rather than yes. submit to rather than submit to Tunisian healthcare. Ford has his Ford had his knee wrapped in ice and carried on. So he finished the movie with an injured knee rather than go to a Tunisian hospital. Um, yeah. So, uh, let's see. Um, Harrison Ford actually outran the boulder during shooting. Um, but he had to do it, uh, 10 times because they were shooting from so many different angles and his stumble in the scene, uh, they said looked real, so they ended up leaving it in. Um, it looked more authentic, they said, um, when he stumbled. And then, let's see, they got, <laughs> I'm sorry, the um, <clears throat> the, the Nazi monkey. Um, they, they got him to do the, the Hitler salute by putting a grape on a fishing pole. <laughs> um, took, a, took, took about 50 takes. So. Um, gosh, this would have been, I I just imagine like if you're doing that in 2020 and you get a phone call during break. So what did you do today, honey? I just try to get a monkey to salute Hitler, you know, no big deal. Um, anyway, so, so the boulder, right? It's made of fiberglass. So it wasn't giving them the right sound effect that they wanted. So what they ended ended up doing, um, when they couldn't find the sound they wanted later that day, the sound designer, um, was leaving in a Honda Civic. And they were coasting down a gravel embankment. And he noticed that the sound was exactly what he was looking for. So they grabbed a microphone and held it near one of the Honda Civic's rear tires nice. to create the boulder sound. That's one of the one of the most interesting things is how they create mm-hmm. 
sound yeah. effects for for movies. You know, I really got into that when we discussed uh, Psycho because uh, there was a great companion documentary with that where they talked about mm. like the shower scene and how yeah. they created the stabbing sounds and the melons they used and the meats and all this other stuff. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's just a fascinating yeah. industry there. Just just yeah. sound creation. I'm glad you brought up sound effects because I, and maybe again this could just be recency, you know, just because I've listened to it recently, but something about the Indiana Jones films, I feel like gunshots and punches sound way more brutal. Yeah. That then I then in maybe and maybe not, but it just like the punches really f- feel like they've got some weight to it and the gunshots feel really piercing. Something about it it just it just feels harsh, you know. I I I like what they do with it. The I punches agree. um yeah. hitting a pile of leather jackets with a baseball bat. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, it makes that yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, it, it has that um, not not in the sound effects, I guess, but the the comparison you were making before um, to the Mandalorian that that is kind of what it reminds me of. I mean, that that Mandalorian is trying to kind of um, recapture some of that, you know. I mean, which of course, I mean, it was the old Star Wars too, so it it, it wouldn't just be like. Indiana Jones or 80 80s movies in general, but Mm -hmm. just the comparisons between those two. Yeah, I I definitely, definitely see those. Well, yeah. And those are so, and and I mean, listen, you know, it's fine to, to conflate the two because I mean, they were brain children of the same people. Yeah. Um, So it's definitely the same style. And actually um, that there, they had said that Lucas actually contested against Harrison Ford at first because he was afraid of being perceived as like having a Robert De Niro syndrome like mm. with Martin Scorsese mm. and he's like, I don't want them to think like Harrison's like my boy, you know, mm. because they had already done American graffiti, star Wars and empire strikes back by the time this came oh, out. Yeah. And yeah. so it would have been like four, it was four movies in a row for them. I guess five, if he did return wow. of the Jedi after this, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, it's just um, kind of wild, but I mean, looking over, there was a long list of possible alternative um, actors for Indiana Jones and none of them were appealing. Um, yeah. The only one that remotely stands out was Tom Selleck. Who, mm. Ah, that's right. Yeah. Who at the time, and if, if, if we, if Indiana Jones had not become sort of the timeless franchise that it is, mm-hmm. it remained this sort of eighties time capsule, I think would have been great. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that because I mean, I mean, Magnum PI, like yeah. if you just, if you just kind of shave the mustache, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I can yeah. I can definitely see it. Do yeah. you think Tom Selleck would have allowed himself to be made a fool of as much as Harrison Ford, though, in some of those scenes, you know? Like, yeah, I I don't know. Um, I I think with Magnum P.I., it was there was like the running gag about Higgins Doberman's chasing mm-hmm. him and stuff like oh, that. Okay. So. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he would have done it to that level, you know. But I, I, it's it's harder for me to remember Magnum PI because I wasn't that wasn't something. I mean, I watched it some, but it wasn't yeah. like, you know. But I think I think possibly maybe not quite to the same degree. Yeah, I was like most of the interactions I have seen, uh, m- most of the experiences I've had with Selick's material, which is good in its own right. Mm-hmm. I've never bought him his fee. I've never bought his fear. Like yeah. he seems a little more like put out 
yeah. and kind of like annoyed. I remember a romantic comedy. Do you, I don't know if you remember the three men and a baby franchise. Yeah, he was I in that. And, that and like, there were times where he was really like flustered and stuff and it was funny, but it was not like, yeah, Indiana Jones in a pit of snakes. Right. <laughs> funny, you know, like, right. um, that kind of stuff. So it's just, just a little, just a little different. Um, also I, th- I found this to be really entertaining. Um, Apparently, the the German language that the Nazis speak in the movie was so bad that on the DVD release they had to redub the German with with better German with uh, ger- German actors uh, uh, because because they had a really one they had a really strong American accent and two some of the lines were just wrong apparently uh, uh, in translation. So they had native German speakers uh, come along um, back to sound effects. Uh, the sound of the arc being slid open uh, the top of a toilet tank. <laughs> that really removes makes, some of the mystique. Wow. I'm afraid it does. It does remove some of it, but it, but that makes sense <laughs> in a way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't look inside. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do not look inside. Um, so, I found this to be really, really amazing. So um, it was the highest grossing film of 1981. Um, It beat the second ranked grossing film, which was on Golden Pond, by almost $100 million uh, at the box office. Like it was a runaway first place, you know, uh, hit. And so over $200 million in 1981, which is bananas. Uh, Now, granted theaters stayed film stayed in theaters forever back then but yeah i'm not going to have that conversation it's still a real achievement you know to mm-hmm. get 200 million dollars in 1981 also considering what tickets cost back then too which is way cheaper so um that's that's crazy stuff um so thinking of that um spielberg actually said he was quoted as saying i made this as a b movie like I didn't see the film as anything more than a better made version of the Republic serials, which is, you know, the kind of stuff that it was based off of. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about just the crazy, like face melting Mm -hmm. stuff of the Nazis and stuff, when I think about this as a B movie, I'm like, you know what? I can kind of see a grindhouse, Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, um, shade to this, uh, in a way, but I find it so amazing that he was he was going into this thinking like, uh, this is just going to be kind of like this schlocky adventure sort of thing. Yeah. And it ends up becoming one of the highest grossing films, the highest grossing film of the year and go on to get nominated for eight Academy Awards. (laughs) It's just bananas, you know? Yeah. I mean, granted fast forward and you have Brad Pitt winning an Oscar for once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, you know, which again, I love that film too, but you know, this, this whole notion of sort of, uh, uh, I can't think of the word I want to use, but this whole kind of like really niche movie, mm-hmm. um, being super well received when it's, when it's made with love and care and quality, uh, kind of transcends, uh, transcends its intended genre, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, um, yeah, (laughs) moving, moving along, this is going to be uncomfortable for a second. Um, I can't ignore this now as a grown man who has children, 
But the relationship here was really uncomfortable with uh, Indiana Jones and Marion. Yeah. Um, so, so first of all, um, <laughs> he has a historied r- relationship with this already young woman um, who he apparently knows from working for or with or being trained by her father. Um, cause he, his history is with, is with her father, Abner Ravenwood. Uh, and, um, he goes and finds Marion instead. And she quotes, so, so the script, I just, oh boy, <laughs> the script describes Marion as being 25. Um, and I'm just going to read the whole, the whole trivia piece out and then we can let it be what it is. Um, George Lucas originally wanted her to be younger, but Steven Spielberg objected to her age at the script conference. Lucas said, once she's 16 or 17, it's not, oh, oh no, it's not as interesting anymore. But she was 15 and he was 25 and they actually had an affair the last time they met. Lawrence Kasdan left her age out of the dialogue. Good job, Lawrence. With Mir- <laughs> with Marion telling Indiana only that I've learned to hate you in the last 10 years. I was a child. So when that line of dialogue came out this time, like, listen, I've seen this movie dozens of times at this point in my life. I've got maybe one eye on the screen and another, like on my phone during the scene. And, and, and that line stuck out. Like I so said, that that's one of the interesting things about going back and watching films from the eighties, like in the yeah. 21st century. Yeah. Some of these lines that you've never heard in the first yeah, 10 times you've watched it right. stick out like a sore thumb. Right. And that came out and I put my phone down and looked up and I looked up and saw my wife was also looking up. <laughs> and I was just like, um, huh? Yep. Yeah. Hold on. And, and she was, yeah. When she says in the last 10 years, I'm like 10 years. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. This is not, this is not good. I, I actually caught that. Interestingly enough, just coincidentally myself this time too. But I and I wondered, I didn't know any of what you just mentioned then. And I was thinking, like, is she maybe like 28 in the movie and she's 29 and she's saying, like, at the time, like, she's she's using child a little more liberally that she was, you know, an adult, but technically. Technically, you know, an adult, but so young that she was really a child. And uh, nope, no, okay, never mind. I, then. <laughs> I've never met a woman in my life who referred to herself as a child, at, right. and when she was over the age of eighteen, right? Um, yeah, so problematic at best, right? Um, yeah. So, same, uh, it's funny. You guys, it's exact same thing. We I watched it a few months ago. Um, and, you know, it'd probably been a few years since I'd seen it. But, yeah, growing up, I saw it all the time. And this was the first time that really stood out. I was like, oh, 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 no. Oh, no. Yeah, it really, it, yeah. that same thing. I was probably, you know, my mind a couple of different paces, probably. And, yeah, when that conversation happened, I just immediately like, oh, gosh. Okay, this is, <laughs> this is not what I remember. <laughs> um, pause, though, to, to say Karen Allen, I mean, um, Marion's character, at least for someone, she, you know, she has a few damselly moments, but I, I would say in comparison to her film contemporaries, mm-hmm. of you know, love interest girl, I'd say she's a lot more hardcore and yeah. tougher than her contemporaries. Like, first of all, you know, she's a, she's a great drinker. Um, she could really hold her alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene, uh, was more entertaining this time around. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
than than before. And then, um, you know, I, I would say for all of the times where she is treated like a like a damsel in distress, she is done so um, under really understandable duress. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. it's not like she is some kind of hapless or hopeless person. Like she's, mm-hmm. she's often unarmed. So it's not like she's got a whip and a pistol like Indy does. So she can't always, you know, fight, but she still does, you know, and, and a lot of times. Yeah. And then when she's held prisoner, you know, you find out in the next scene that they had also been starving her for some indiscriminate amount of time. So that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, she's, she's already trying, you know, she's, she's strong enough to try to take out the Nazis by herself. It's, it's, it's a poorly executed plan, but you know, the numbers game always seems to get in her way. So mm-hmm. it's understand. So, so I would yeah. say, um, that for, for the way they were telling that old adventure serial type story, she was written pretty strong, um, for, for the most part. Um, I will say that um, I can't I, I I can't remember enough about the sort of love scene to 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 make a judgment on if how she was treated in that exchange. Um, all I remember is from that scene. That scene has been ruined for me because they parodied it in an episode of Community and one of the paintball episodes by like mocking the whole idea of you know tending to the wounds of anyway it's a joe McHale and uh britta like they, they they make a mockery of it only to turn itself on its head and turn that into a love scene it's it's just that's there's a lot of layers to that show anyway um yeah so that being said i thought uh karen allen was 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 really good in the film and she uh um she could she could have they could have very easily underwritten her and and um I think I think it made her made her stronger, yeah. Than they than they could have gotten away with, mm-hmm. I, I think um, at least. Um, more more sound effects uh, news. This one might be depend <laughs> depend depending on your your mileage may vary, but this might be the grossest one. Um, to achieve the sound of thousands of snakes slithering, mm. uh, Ben Ben Burt stuck his fingers into a cheese casserole. Um, Interesting. This, this was augmented by applying wet sponges to the grip tape of a skateboard. Um, I, I cannot picture this in my head, how that gets snake slithering. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I have to see that, but I also don't want to see that. Right. Um, so anyway, it's really, really weird stuff. Um, uh, fun, fun bit than the, uh, the truck scene where Indy's, you know, being dragged under the truck and stuff, and he's taking out all the guys. He actually takes out all three of the stunt doubles in that scene. Um, they're, they're playing playing Nazis, which is pretty fun. <laughs> and then um, I'll say at least one more thing. I, I want to uh, get out before I go back and, and see if there's anything I forgot. Um, you know, there's this gag at the end of Last Crusade, you know, about um, Indy being named after the dog. Mm-hmm. Um well, apparently, George Lucas's wife really did name her dog Indiana, and that's that is how they got the name for it. Um, oh wow! So yeah, and it's a play. Uh, Steve McQueen used to play a character named Nevada Smith, and uh, uh, so as a play on that, they 
Indiana Jones. So, um, so there you go. Oh, um, yeah. Named after the dog. <laughs> um, man, these, 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 uh, these poor stuntmen had a, had a had a rough time. Um, yeah. So you yeah, go, go ahead so was, for a for a nearly you know just about forty year old film, a lot especially that 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 truck scene, but a lot of the action set pieces. I, I I'm still really I feel like I, they still really hold up really well, and I, I'm used to seeing films that old where the action you know like nothing against Star Wars but like a New Hope the lightsaber fights. They're just not as um, mm-hmm. engaging yeah. as, you know, they, you know, they would be now. I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of those scenes are still really gripping like that, that truck chase. I, I'm still on the edge of my seat. Like it is so, so well done. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. It's really great. And uh, like the bar, there's others like that too, that just still, still feel really, uh, really intense and really, I don't know. They don't, they don't, they don't age as poorly as, as other films. And I think that a lot of that is a testament to practical effects mm-hmm. too. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's just yeah. so real and um, so well executed. Um, apparently, they, um, but that it comes with a price. Apparently, they um, they wanted to limit the on, the amount of on screen blood. I'm, I'm guessing for for rating purposes, because um, it started off as a rated R um, because they were going to have. I think it was Belloc's head explode um, at the end, but they mm-hmm. had to like superimpose fire on top of it or something to kind of disguise it. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. they could, so yeah. they could bring the rating down. Um, <laughs> Which is hilarious. Where you look at what happens to the other two guys, and then oh, I know, like, and then they're like, no, the head exploding head, like those are worse to the me. The face yeah. melting is the, the most face... scarred thing, to right? Me. Right, with the that's eyeballs a, pop out, yeah. and the it's just yeah. Oh, we we watched yeah. the movie with our kids, and that's the one scene we we're just like, all right, we can't. Sorry, guys, not yet. <laughs> we can't show that to yeah. you. <laughs> You're not ready. Sorry, yeah. Um, so to limit the on-screen blood from gunshots during the truck chase, they used a fine red dust instead of liquid fake blood. Um, unfortunately, the only red dust available for squibs was cayenne pepper. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, no, wasn't not a good time for the stunt career. Wow. Um, bless him. And, in, uh, oh. Oh, in, in, in darkest timeline news, um, John Reese Davies, who played Sala, um, he, he, uh, I'm sorry, the, the role of Sala was almost offered to Danny DeVito, uh, instead, Ooh. which would have been another thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, altogether. Oh wow. Yeah. And apparently the opening the opening scene, the cave, the boulder, all that stuff was based on an old uh Donald Duck comic. So like it sound and it even sounds a bit like an episode of DuckTales uh, a song from the 50s. Um where uh Scrooge, Donald and his nephews um are trying to evade all these booby traps and a uh, huge boulder is part of that to find uh, to find this treasure. So anyway, it's, uh, it's kind of amusing uh, that they have that. There was also a cut, uh, a cut kind of side 
side mission in the movie when he was trying to retrieve the staff of Ra or part of the headpiece or something like that, that actually was going to have him go to Shanghai. And they ended up cutting that entire thing and repurposing it and using it for the, for a lot of Temple of Doom, um, yeah. which is fine. Like there was a minecart chase. There was all kinds of stuff they ended up, you know, just holding on to and using later, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. One more thing about the dog. Uh, which I thought was actually pretty amusing and how how George Lucas's mind in his creativity just kind of bleeds into all the projects at the same time. Um, so, yeah, he had, you know, his wife had a dog named Indiana. Um, one day Lucas saw his wife pulling into their driveway, driving their station wagon, station wagon, and he was watching her park through the windshield. He saw um, his wife in the right-hand driver's seat and his dog Indiana was sitting upright in the left seat. And he thought to himself, they look like a pilot and co-pilot. And that became the inspiration for Han Solo and Chewbacca. Um, (laughs) which, uh, find that pretty, pretty amusing. Um, there, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so there's, there's so much more, uh, out there in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark lore, um, and stories and stuff, but they're, they, they put a they put a lot of work into it, man. Uh, yeah. So much work into it. I mean, yeah, people put work into all, all, all movies, but yeah, um, it it's a real testament to the enduring quality of mm-hmm. something that you put this level of work into, and it just lives on and on and on. Um, so yeah, yeah, we yeah. yeah, I know we talked a little bit before about um, you know people growing up in, in a certain generation that saw those and, you know, regard them as, as perfect films. Um, you know, I think maybe a lot of that just comes from, it was something that had, you know, they'd never really seen something quite like it before, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, cause a lot of those movies around that time around like late seventies, early eighties, I mean, that was just kind of the time that the blockbuster uh, came along and so stuff mm-hmm. like jaws star wars indiana jones all that stuff um you know it, it was just i mean really really groundbreaking stuff yeah absolutely um it was a real i think it was a real revolution for the medium i mean you know it's four yeah it's four years removed from star wars it's six years removed from jaws mm-hmm. um it's it's right in that uh prime timeline of blockbusters you know you have the the genesis of blockbusters because i think you know i think they say that jaws was like the first technical blockbuster by definition and you know you have jaws and you have like a new hope and you have like close encounters and uh raiders and empire strikes back you know all these like massive massive films um that have stood the test of time and and um, things that you know Spielberg really had his hands on, and and Lucas um, during this time too, and and so for them to be teamed together, um, it's pretty amazing that they would take such simple source material, um, based you know in its origins and stuff, and create this entire uh, experience with it, you know, and you know, and then all the all the pieces in the right places, you know, the casting. Of course, we talked about the music, but even even like Tim was mentioning earlier, even the sound effects, like just hearing the punches and the gunshots and all that, it it all felt so, uh, you know, just visceral and just like really, you know, 
real. So um, I, I can see why people laud it with the praise that they do, especially if they experienced it at a time where that was one of their first exposures, yeah. something of that scale. Um, mm. That being said, uh, I will say this now on the recording. We said this before. It's actually my third favorite Indiana Jones <laughs> film. Nice. Um, we are going to be testing a theory over the next three episodes that um, – a lot of people's favorite Indiana Jones films has to do with the one they saw first, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, I, because I mean, I think it, it's just such a testament to sort of the world that is built and the characters that are made. And they're at least for these first three films that their methods of creating the film and having this real understanding of, um, uh, you know, how, how to interact with that world um, and stuff, which is, which is really good. Um, so yeah, any, um, any more, more words on Raiders you guys want to give anything, maybe any scenes that we didn't really talk about that you want to talk about? Cause I'm, we, I, I'll admit, I did not talk very much about the film proper. I don't feel like I think I talked around it for most of this episode, but, um, anything, any scenes you guys want to relive, talk about, or feel like we haven't paid our due attention to. Hmm. Um, I don't know for me I you know I don't think there's really anything that comes to mind off the top of my head mm-hmm. same yeah nothing yeah nothing that we haven't really talked about I yeah there's just man there's so much of it I really like but I going back to you know Mary Karen Allen and other I like how the characters even if you don't know a ton about them I like how at least Oh man, now I have to think back, but like how a lot of them are introduced. I, I really, mm-hmm. they kind of just drop you into something going on, some action, something happening. Um, and I, I don't know, just, just the, the uncon- kind of unconventional things he did for like a typical action, you know, like an action movie. I just really I think we're just really smart moves, really wise decisions. And um, yeah, I just definitely, definitely. I, and maybe it is because it's the first one I saw, but, and, and granted it is the most recent one I've seen in a while so it might be my favorite of the three i have to think more but i don't know i think we'll revisit this after we after we're yeah. done with the third you know? <laughs> oh yeah for uh, sure because it's been a long yeah. time since i've watched temple of doom as well so i'll mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to revisit that one yeah, same uh, here it's as, as good as i remember yeah yeah um so that that'll be a lot of fun um yeah so thank you guys for joining us for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, we will be back next week with Temple of Doom. Um, you are welcome to visit us on Instagram, Night Night Cheese with Stephen and Tim, and uh, on Facebook, Night Cheese Podcast with Stephen and Tim, and on Twitter at Pod Night Cheese. Um, feel free to reach out to us at any time uh, if you want to hear us, uh, you know, talk about a, a movie or a series or something. Uh, we'd love to put it on the calendar and, and engage with you guys. Let us know what you thought of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Which is your favorite indie movie? Are we um, are we just being elitist trolls for not uh, tackling Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, or does that movie not count to you either? Uh, be, be interesting. Um, what your what your takes are on that? Um, what is your theory on people's Indiana Jones rankings? Does it have anything to do with, to do with their first exposure to the character? Um, you know, the, what are your t- what is your take on Nazi monkeys? Um, <laughs> which is the real takeaway from this? I think um, you know, if we can leave you with anything, it's uh, do not engage when when the Nazis are are congregating and. You know, stay away from Nazi monkeys. I mean, it's just, it's just, just words of wisdom, yeah. really.
Let it be. <laughs> film is really ahead of its time in that area, I think. <laughs> if there's, You're I mean, telling me. I, I mean, we still have like six weeks left in 2021. We still have time for Nazi monkeys. Or, I'm sorry, in 2020. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm mentally trying to move ahead to 2021 already. Yeah. But we, we, we have six weeks left for, for Nazi monkeys to, yeah. to be a thing in the real world. Yeah. Well, you know, I've talked around it, and I'll just say it one more time. Please be careful if you encounter any Nazis who think they possess the power of God and they don't understand it um, because their face might get melted off. You just don't know what will happen. I mean, it happened in this movie. So, you know, just, just don't just 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 look away. Look away. Look away. Dixieland. So um, anyways. Thank you, guys. This is what happens when I schedule our recordings later at night. I just kind of slowly eke off the rails. I'm not quite, <laughs> not quite like a Raiders level, you know, explosion of special effects. It's just more like a slow, just veering <laughs> off the rails. I'm like that van in Inception that's just slowly falling <laughs> off the bridge, and um, we're about to hit the water. Um, so, anyways, thank you again, guys, for joining us for real. Uh, Jared, thanks for jumping on, on board with us again. Yeah, uh, thanks. We look forward to the next episode. And uh, until next time, everybody, keep working on your night cheese. He, one of his contacts or something that's trying to help him find a place has this pet monkey, but the monkey is. I can't believe I'm about to say these words out loud is, is a secret spy for the Nazis. Um, it's a, it's a Nazi spy monkey. <laughs>